1: Good morning! It is Wednesday, September 5th, 2018, and this is the Red Sea Roundup. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Deacon Mike Beauvais. Today I will be talking with Professor Paul Gondreau about his res- perspective on the 50th anniversary of Humana Vitae, as he presented it in the book, Inseparable. But first, as always, I want to welcome all our listeners here uh, in the... Uh, The Brazos Valley on KEDC 88.5 FM, Hearn Bryan College Station. And also welcome our Central Texas listeners on KYAR 98.3 FM, the Arena Waco. And also hello to our listeners in Palestine on KINF 107.9 FM. Our show this morning is live, and uh, so you're welcome to give us a call at 85-LOVE-RED-SEA, 8556837332. especially if you have something going on at your parish that you would like to notify our listeners of, that uh, events that are coming up. And um, we're always uh, happy to get phone calls from our listeners to let us know of the things that we may not have picked up on. We try to educate everyone as to what's going on in the parishes in our listening areas, but we can't always be on top of everything, so we rely on our listeners to give us a call and let us know what's going on. As always, I would like to say hello to our station manager and Head engineer and jack of all trades, Professor
0: Thaddeus Romansky. Good hey, morning, Thaddeus. Good morning, Deacon Mike. How are you doing? I am doing fine. How are you? How was your Labor Day? My Labor Day was laborious. You worked on Labor Day? I did. Uh, Dennis and I were out at the Travis Street Gym at St. Joseph's Catholic School assisting with the successful 20th annual KJZT garage sale. I did see pictures of that. I wasn't able to make it out
1: there mm. because this weekend was my wife's birthday.
0: Oh, well, happy birthday to uh, Mrs.
1: Beauvais. And, uh, but I did see the pictures and I saw how many volunteers we had out there. And I think that is absolutely wonderful.
0: Yes, it was. And there was an astounding amount of goodwill shown through the, the donations and a lot of happy customers who came through those doors and came away with some real treasures including yours truly treasures mhm uh huh i think my favorite thing that i picked up was a cowboy cookbook ah. uh put together published by the uh national cowboy um hall of fame and Western Heritage Society, published by the University of Oklahoma Press. First part of it is sort of a history of cowboy cooking and the chuck wagon, and then the other half is recipes that are from um, contemporary ranches and um, cowpokes. It was a pretty, pretty neat cookbook.
1: Uh, lots of recipes for Dutch ovens. I would take it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and plenty of plenty of recipes for for grills too. So I was excited about that.
1: Yes. Well, these are the sort of uh, events that we want to feature on the Red Sea Roundup to let people know of the things that are coming up, the things that uh, are uh, opportunities for us to be engaged in our parishes, and uh, especially here in the Brazos Valley. Uh, it's beautiful in the way that the different Catholic parishes uh, work together and especially in these sort of events where uh, we're raising money for a good cause and there's assistance required in doing
0: these things. So, That's right, and some of the proceeds from the KGZT garage sale go back to benefit your Red Sea Catholic radio. So we are very, very thankful for the support that we get from KJZT and all the people who shopped at it because they're helping us. Thank you.
1: Yes, thank you everyone that went out there and helped and all those that went out there and found some real bargains and purchased some real treasures. Exactly. Uh, One of the things that uh, sort of leads right into this that I wanted to talk about is we are into a next school year which for us in religious education means that we also start our semesters for young people and for adults and provide different things for people to get involved in, in order to grow in their faith. Mm -hmm. And so this is something that I wanted to bring up because it's a topic that's near and dear
0: to my heart. Yeah, it is. You're a longtime RCIA teacher, Uh,
1: for one. Yes, I have been doing this for... Over a decade now. And um, it is a constant reminder that we never know enough about our faith. Right. And, um, but as it relates to our young people, I think it's important to note that parents are called to be the primary educator of their children in the faith. What that, of course, means is that in order to pass something on, we first have to possess it. And so the challenge is, especially for parents, how do I answer those questions that I'm going to get? How do I engage with my children when they come back from RE class and go, mom and dad, we heard about this, what can you tell me? And so one of the things that I encourage parents to do is become involved in some form of adult formation, be it RCIA, be it a Bible study, be it adult formation classes, at your parish, uh, hopefully uh, in your parish they have the same sort of thing that we have at St. Anthony's where while the children are in their RE classes or in their youth groups, that there's an opportunity for adults to come together and learn more about their faith. And so we have that opportunity to grow in our faith at the same time as the young people do. And the reason this is important is because it communicates something to the young people. It communicates that the parents feel this is important to them rather than this is just an opportunity to drop off the kids to run to Walmart. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And so it's a constant challenge if you have parents just dropping their kids off of instilling in the children the importance of what it is that's going on in the RE classes if what they're learning from the attitude or the actions of the parents that it is not important to them. So I encourage parents to be involved in something at the parish uh, that fosters your growth in the faith so that you can share that with your children. Mm -hmm. And which brings me to what we were talking about the radio station Ah, one of the opportunities that we have in the brazos valley and in central texas and in palestine is to grow in our faith just by turning on the radio to the right radio station <laughs> because there are numerous instances throughout the day where we can learn something about our faith and uh Even for me, I'm constantly learning something when I turn on the radio and there's questions asked that I never imagined of asking. Right. And then I hear the answers and uh, my faith grows. Right. Um, Be it Patrick Madrid, be it Father Simon, be it uh, 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 Dr. David Anders, Mm -hmm. or.
0: Catholic Answers. Catholic
1: Answers live in the afternoon. There's a constant opportunity for us to grow in our faith and um, hopefully we all take part in this and uh, support the radio station because it is a way for us to grow in our faith. But again, I would encourage all parents to also take an active role in something at the church that fosters their growth in the faith so that they will be able to set an example for the young people. Because one of the things that I see, especially in the news all the time, is the rate at which young people leave the faith. And a lot of times it isn't due to something that the faith is, it is something that the they don't understand about their faith because they were never taught.
0: Yeah. As a matter of fact, um, Bishop Robert Barron's most recent uh, word on fire program, he was speaking on this very topic and something that he was quite adamant about was the, the surveys of young, of young folks. It's not, they're not, they're not telling the, the researchers and the surveyors that they haven't been sufficiently welcomed or they haven't been uh, made to feel included enough in their church. It's that they there are teachings that they don't understand that the the deposit of faith hasn't been passed on and sufficiently explained to them. <clears throat> and so he was saying, he thinks it's a it's a mistake to separate. Accompaniment from apologetics—that apologetics goes along with accompaniment. That you, yes, you walk with someone. You hear where they are, what they're coming from, what they don't understand, or what they um, have a a gripe about. But then you give an answer, just like it says, just like Saint Peter says in his epistle. You know, have a reason for, to uh, always be ready with a with a reason for the hope that lies within you. Um, so I can't agree with you more and i i wanna believe that um the radio station what we provide here, I think that that's also um a convenient sort of resource that you can give to someone who you might um encounter. When you're standing outside talking after mass, or maybe a coworker or a family member who maybe ex- if they express to you a feeling of, well, I just don't I don't feel like I know my faith well enough to be able to I- instruct my my children or um, add on to what they get from religious ed, invite them to listen to the radio because all they have to do is listen to it for. I mean, I'm preaching to the choir here, but you know, two weeks. A month, and they're going to be better formed, and you can always show them how confident. to
1: download the app.
0: Yeah, that's an that's a nice uh, thing to do. Right when you're standing with somebody to say, and you know, there's there's even an app on your phone, so you can listen to it whenever you want, wherever you are. Um, yeah, yeah. So we we pray that you will um, evangelize for the for the truth by evangelizing about the radio that you love so much and that you support um, with your with your hard-earned money. Um, let let other people in on the secret, right? Yes.
1: And along those lines, if you truly feel that you don't know your faith well enough to answer questions, uh, check out the RCIA program, The Rite of Christian Initiation of Adults at your parish, and sit in for a few sessions. Uh Thaddeus mentioned, uh, Bishop Barron. One of his favorite expressions is that most people, when they talk about God do not understand what the Catholic church means by God. Mm -hmm. And so if we're in that category, if we don't quite know how to articulate our understanding of God, RCIA is a wonderful place to start because, um, that's one of the basic things that uh, the rite of Christian initiation begins with, is what is our understanding of God? And so uh, I invite all of you, if you are thinking of you know, learning more about your uh, faith, of growing closer to your understanding of what the church actually teaches rather than what you hear the church teaches. Uh, check out our uh, CIA program. And finally, uh, since we were talking about the radio station, I wanted to make sure we put in a plug for the upcoming benefit dinner. If you have not yet purchased your tickets, uh, go on the website uh, and uh, sign up for the tickets. And uh, it is uh, a little bit later this year. It's uh, November 1st. Yeah,
0: All Saints Day. All Mm -hmm.
1: Saints Day. So there will be a mass prior to the beginning of uh, the benefit dinner Mm -hmm. so that you don't miss out on Holy Day of Obligation and get to go to Mass and then enjoy a wonderful benefit dinner.
0: Yeah, doors are opening at 7 this year uh, after Mass at St. Thomas Aquinas because it's in our usual stomping grounds, the Parish Activity Center at St. Thomas Aquinas Catholic Church in College Station. They have always come through and supported us uh, year after year now. Let us host our benefit dinner there. We think it's a great facility. So thank you so much to Father Albert and all the parishioners at St. Thomas for putting us up at, uh, at their parish activity center. And we're going to be uh, joined by Tom Peterson. He's going to be our keynote speaker, encouraging us to be Catholic heroes, to be heroes in the, in the everyday And he is the president of Catholics Come Home. You might have seen him on the television Television. over the last few years.
1: Yes. Uh, So if you are um, interested in the benefit dinner, check out uh, our website. Uh, Purchase your tickets. Purchase a whole table. Uh, It's always a great time. Uh, The benefit dinner is absolutely wonderful, and I encourage everyone – if you have not been before, to go ahead and uh, make this your first time. And uh, you won't regret it. And, of course, you'll be supporting Catholic Radio in your home area. One other thing uh, before we take our break, I wanted to mention that um, we'll be talking about the book uh, Inseparable, which is Five Perspectives on Sex, Life, and Love in Defense of Humana Vitae because this year is the 50th anniversary of Humana Vitae. Um, and the book is five different perspectives, and we'll be talking to Professor Paul Gondreau about his chapter in this book, uh, which is on um, how natural law relates to our understanding of Humana vitae and how important it uh, is to understand natural law in order to understand a lot of what humana vitae is intending to teach us one of the things that i also wanted to mention is that um, in our culture today a rereading of Umanavite is extremely important so uh let's go ahead and move to our break and we will be joined by professor paul gondro on the other side i'll see you all then
0: To the earth and the weight of the world on my shoulders I can take the scars and burdens away All this I
1: can Yes, I am And we're back. Welcome back to the Red Sea sea. Roundup. As promised, we're going to be talking to Professor Paul Gondreau, who wrote a uh, perspective in the book, Inseparable, Five Perspectives on Sex, Life, and Love in Defense of Humana Vitae. Professor Gondreau, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing really well. Great to be with you, Deacon Mike.
1: Where are you located right now?
2: I'm actually located in Providence, Rhode Island. I teach at Providence College out here on the East Coast.
1: Wonderful. Uh, So you all are gearing up for a new semester also?
2: Yes, the semester is, in fact, underway. We're a week and a half uh, underway already. So, gee, time flies.
1: How many classes are you teaching?
2: I'm teaching um, four classes, which uh, at our place is actually an overload. So, And one of the classes I teach, and I have been teaching it for years, is uh, marriage. Ah.
1: I think uh, that is an important class to be teaching in our culture.
2: Uh, Well, you know, the way I put it is it it really puts me on the front lines of the new evangelization because uh, uh, this is really where the, the culture runs up against the Catholic vision of happiness and fulfillment. And of uh, of our human nature.
1: Before we uh, get into the actual chapter of the book that you uh, contributed, how did the book come to be? Uh,
2: well, the uh, Catholic Answers uh, came out with a book, and and um, you know, of course, they they thought since uh, end of July, uh, you know, month. Uh, or so go, you know, mark the 50th anniversary of Humani Vitae. Um, maybe the most maligned, uh, certainly uh, the most reviled, uh, but, but I would argue, and, and others certainly argue, and Catholic answers would argue, the most prophetic Church document of really of the last 50 years. So it's much misunderstood, but I, uh, I'm of the view, and, and others, is that it marks one of God's greatest gifts to the Church of the last half century. So what they wanted to mark that, by um, coming out with a book that would approach the the subject matter from five different angles. One, a, a more philosophical or natural law perspective that, that uh, addresses human reason as such, or human reason alone. Another from a more biblical and theological perspective. Another from a practical perspective, a lived experience of the teaching of Humanae Vitae. So my chapter was the one on... Uh, on uh, natural law, the the philosophical understanding of the meaning and purpose of human sexuality, such as we find articulated in Humana Vitae.
1: And I think, since uh, it is a, a more and more secular culture that we live in, why would you say it's important to be able to address Humana Vitae from a philosophical standpoint as much as from a theological?
2: Yeah, that's that's a great question. It gets right to the, really the heart of the matter there, Deacon Mike, because you know a lot of people don't know that that Humanae Vitae, Paul the VI, sixth, Pope Paul the addressed it certainly to Catholics, but then he says to all people of goodwill, and the reason he can do that is because, as he goes on to make clear, the teaching of Humanae Vitae is based not only in the biblical revelation but also on the natural law. He expressly says that, and what that means then is that the audience is the whole human family, because we're talking about the meaning and the purpose of human sexuality as embedded in our human design, and you don't need the faith to know that. Certainly, the faith helps to know that, but it's not, strictly speaking, necessary. Reason alone can know that. So uh, so really, then, that means that, that it's a teaching which is, uh, which is uh, valid, not just for Catholics or not just for people who accept the... Um, the, the revelation of, of the Bible, but for all people.
1: We've mentioned the term natural law several times already. Could you give us an explanation of what it is that we mean as Catholics when we talk about natural law?
2: Yeah, natural law, it's, you know, it's a technical term, and, and uh, it, it, it really goes back to the ancient Greeks, and it's, it's uh, something that the Church has appropriated for literally hundreds of years and the Church continues to invoke it in its moral teaching. It's really quite simple, Deacon Mike. I would say that that the way to understand natural law is no, nothing more complicated than the fact that when God designed us, when He made us, He had an idea in mind of how we should live. And He embedded that intention of how we should live. He embedded that in our very design, and He also um, planted it on our, on our minds and on our conscience. And so that's why, that's, that's why we can know through our conscience certain rights and wrongs. And this is not difficult to grasp if we just consider the very uh, simple uh, existential fact that all people, with very rare exceptions, a- agree to certain basic rights and wrongs. What person thinks that it's it's not wrong to commit rape or to commit arson or to commit murder. And you don't need to be a religious believer to know these things are wrong. You just need to be a person of good conscience. And so natural Law just names the fact what it does is it, is it tells us, um, explains where that comes from. It comes from the fact that comes from the author of our nature, from the designer, from God himself, and that... Just as with every aspect of human life where rules are just part and parcel, think of the game of football, think of the game of baseball, the game you know, imagine sending people out on a baseball field and say, just kind of do whatever you want, do whatever uh, strikes your fancy. That would not be the game of baseball. The game of baseball is defined by clearly articulated rules. So natural law just says that it is the same for if I could put it in these terms, the game of human life, for human life itself, that God has uh, embedded certain basic rules, and that these rules keep us on the straight and narrow. They point us in the direction of where genuine human happiness and flourishing can be found, and they alert us to those uh, ways and those uh, areas of behavior that will uh, spell our uh, unhappiness, our misery, and our ultimately our demise.
1: And so this is a good segue into my next question, because given that natural law is that what guides us in the understanding of what we should be doing, there's a meaning and purpose to our human sexuality, as is for everything else that we are as human beings, correct?
2: That's, that's absolutely correct. There's a meaning and purpose to human life in general, and that meaning and purpose is to be happy. And, of course, we know from, from our faith that ultimate human happiness is only found in communion with God and living with God for all eternity. Uh, but every human being wants, wants to be happy insofar as every human being desires the flourishing, uh, the perfection, the satisfaction of all human needs and desires. So. The best way to understand our sexuality then as as a key ingredient in that overall um, uh, you know direction of our lives to happiness, that God has designed us with a sex a sexuality, a sex nature to play an integral role in our pursuit of happiness, in our quest for the human flourishing. and uh, if we if we um, so long as therefore we respect the meaning and purpose of our sexuality, as God has intended it, then we are acting in such wise as to order our lives to this, to this proper flourishing, and thus to the flourishing in our relationships and in our marriages and our family.
1: One of the things that you mentioned in uh, your perspective on this is uh, that this. Understanding that uh, there is a meaning and purpose of our sexuality, uh, according to uh, Pope Benedict XVI, that speaks directly to what it means for us to be human beings.
2: Yeah, yeah be- Pope Benedict was was uh, really quite remarkable on this. He kept sounding this theme over and over in the course of his pontificate that what we find in the debate over sexual behaviors, sexual conduct, sexual relationships, is a debate, a more fundamental debate over what it means to be human. And uh, what he meant by that, uh, and, and he, he, he alludes to it, but we see the principles embedded in humana vitae, what he meant by that was whether to be human is to be a body-soul-unity-being. because. We live in a culture that invites us really not to look upon the body as integral to our human identity. It invites us to look upon the human individual as kind of a free, uh, freely choosing, thinking self. And the body is, is, uh, is there, kind of along for the ride, but you can do with it pretty much whatever you please. You can treat it like a toy, you can treat it like a, a playground if you want, but it carries no inherent moral worth and dignity. And what Pope Benedict was trying to uh, bring to our attention was to say that, and he he actually in his first encyclical, Deus Caritas Est, this is the very language he uses, he says to to say that, you know, to treat your body like a a recreational playground, it seems like it's celebrating the body, but in fact, Pope Benedict says, it's tantamount to a veritable hatred of the human body. That's the very word he uses, hatred. Why is that? Because it denies the fact that our body is integral to our human identity. Because if it is integral to our human identity, then you, you owe your body what you owe to yourself, which is to treat it properly, to treat it uh, as, as an end that's ordered to God, and not just as a means, as a placing. Right? And so if you abuse your body then, and that is you, you do it, you, you, you do to your body... Uh, things that, that you shouldn't, uh, certainly physical harm would be an obvious example, but, but uh, substance abuse, addiction would be another example. But so, too, if we abuse the meaning and purpose of our, of our sexual organs, then really what we're doing is we're, we are denigrating our very human personhood. We are, uh, we are sinning against ourselves. And, you know, insofar then as we owe the body moral worth and dignity, we are championing, and this is really what what Pope Benedict was trying to get us to see. we are championing, as the Church does, the goodness of the body, the sacredness of the body.
1: And I think uh, this also speaks to the issue in our culture now where we use any means possible, med- uh, medicine, medicine. Uh, uh, surgery, chemicals, anything in order to exert domination over our physical bodies.
2: Oh, that's, that's the very word I like to use there, Deacon Mike, domination, that's exactly it. Uh, and this is, you know, there are, um, you know, this has been in the cultural water that we drink for a long time. There have been certain influential thinkers in the course of humanity, one of which is uh, a, a famous philosopher, name is Rene Descartes. Uh, He he was famous for defining the human being as a thinking self, loosely tied to a body. And he also speaks of of the the goal of human life is to dominate the order of nature, to be master and controller of the order of nature. And is that not what we see? Certainly we see that in the case of artificial contraception, where what we're doing is we're exploiting the good of technology to... uh, to disrespect the inherent ends of the, of the body of the order of nature, and to submit it to our to self will, uh, it's almost you know to treat to treat technology as is like a as like a, an idol, you know we're, we're we're worshiping at at the at the altar of of technology in a kind of idolatrous fashion, because, uh, and this is where um, if I can just say that 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 the the key. Element in humani Vitae is found in, in number 12, and I really encourage your readers in this 50th uh, year of uh, since its publication to read Humanae Vitae. It's not that long. And in number 12, this is, I think, the key moment. Number 12, Paul VI says that there is an inseparable connection between what he calls the procreative and the unitive orderings of sexuality. All right. And what he means by that is that, uh, and, and what I would argue is that this is. Uh, this is owing to the fact that we are indeed body-soul unities, and our sexuality is expressive of our body-soul nature in a very particular way, in as much as if you just look at sexuality on a biological level uh, in terms of our bodies, which is, what the, you know, which is why it's owing to us first and foremost. We have a sexuality because first we have bodies. God doesn't have a sex nature because he doesn't have a body. All right, and so if you just look at it at, on that level alone, it's very obvious what its purpose is. It's very obviously ordered to procreation. You, you could, there'd be no way of explaining human sexuality from a purely biological point of view uh, it, by abstracting procreation out of the picture. Okay, now, uh, but that's only half of the picture uh, because to say that would be to distinguish human sexuality in no way from the rest of the animal kingdom. The animal kingdom is endowed with sexuality for the very obvious purpose of procreation. We, however, are not mere biological bodies. We are rational beings. We have a body joined to a spiritual, rational soul, and it's in virtue of that rational soul that we are ordered to higher goods than merely bodily goods, ultimately to the good of friendship, of love, and relationship. And that our sexuality plays a, a very key role in that, in, in as much as it, it becomes the, the, um, oh, the, the, the key um, means of uniting to another person in the highest expression of human friendship, of human love. That's what Pope Paul meant by the unitive ordering, union and love, union and friendship and fellowship. However, just as we cannot separate body from soul so can we not separate the unitive ordering of sex, the unitive meaning from the procreative one? And so the, the ordering to unit of love must always respect the fact that our bodies have this procreative design. And so only where unit of love is at the same time procreative that is open to procreation does it respect the meaning and purpose of our sexuality as God has designed it. That of course is found in, in marriage and so this explains why Pope John Paul II was famous in his Theology of the Body for speaking of the inherent nuptial meaning of our sexuality, that our human sexuality is inherently marital, a conjugal in meaning. Okay? Now, uh, let me just finish this little uh, piece here, Deacon Mike, by pointing out that notice I have not uh, appealed at all to the biblical revelation to our faith as such. I've made uh, an argument— that's based purely on our human design as reason alone can grasp it. There's your, there's your natural law understanding of the meaning and purpose of sexuality. There's your philosophical understanding of the meaning and purpose of human sexuality that any person can, can grasp.
1: I must say, though, listening to your uh, explanation on this, the thought that entered into my head was that while most of the people on the opposite side of humana uh, uh trajectory would not know or consider themselves Gnostics. But what you're saying is, in a lot of ways, that's ultimately what they are, that they're, you know, what we do with our bodies is totally unimportant because Descartes would say we're just thinking individuals and so there's no uh, tie to what our bodies do.
2: Yeah. Very interesting you say that, Deacon Mike, because this is something I'm pointing out all all the time. Is that what I'm not suggesting is that you have a bunch of Cartesian or a bunch of Gnostics by name walking around that are, you know, consciously, expressly adhering to this to this to this flawed or fragmented anthropology. Rather. It's an implicit anthropology that follows upon how they look upon human behavior, particularly in the sexual arena. So what I, what I always say to my students is really that the, 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 what's really at issue here is what does it mean to be human? And you might not think of it in those terms. But how you view human action, in particular sexual conduct, how you view sexual conduct and what constitutes appropriate sexual conduct and inappropriate sexual conduct, is expressive of a deeper view of the human person, whether you realize it or not. It is it is implicitly in play. And so you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, they might not call themselves Gnostics, or I like the term Cartesian. That's the adjectival yes. form of Descartes. But they are, practically, you know... It, And in the very least, practically, that is in terms of of their behavior or how they view behavior.
1: Based on what we were just talking about, how does this impact our Catholic view of family as compared to what the view of the culture at large now sees family as? (laughs)
2: Well, uh, that's right. That's been right before us really since the sexual revolution. Uh, We have, uh, we live in a culture which since the time of the sexual revolution has held up pleasure as the chief good of our sexuality and that, you know, however that pleasure can be enjoyed. You know, within, you know, very loose limits, like, you know, provided it's consensual, that you don't harm someone, loosely defined, you know, provided it's within those limits, pretty much all bets are off, you know. Uh, You can justify pretty much anything, but the Catholic vision says, no, 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 no. Uh, pleasure is not the chief good. Procreation and unit of love are the chief goods that our sexuality targets. And pleasure is a good, certainly. It's been created by God. We wouldn't do this if we didn't derive pleasure out of it. But it is subordinate to these higher goods. So we don't pursue pleasure as an ultimate end uh, and justify it in the name of, well, you know, I'm just kind of a uh, an autonomous choosing self that I can treat my body however I please, so long as I'm not harming someone else. No, 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 no. That, that, that pleasure must always, always be subordinate to these higher goods and be enjoyed and pursued in light of that. And That, of course, occurs only in marriage, a marriage between a man and a woman. So right there, of course, uh, marriage can only be defined as, of course, it's always been defined, uh, in the history of the human race until, you know, just, uh, three years ago, at least if you're looking at, uh, the Supreme court of the United States and it's, uh, Obergefell decision, uh, marriage it can only be defined, uh, as a union, a lifelong union of a man and a woman. And to pretend it's, it's, uh, it can be defined elsewhere. is really just to play with our words and to, um, and to, you know, uh, uh, make, empty our words of their meaning. There's a there's an historical uh, example I like to point to. Back in the ancient Roman Empire, Caligula, the, the famous uh, corrupt Roman emperor, you know, he tried to name his horse, Incatanus, a Roman senator. Okay? Now, um, you, would, you might think that, well, he's the Roman emperor. He has the uh, authority to make his horse a senator if he wishes. Well, not if that the definition of a Roman senator uh, presupposes that one be rational, <laughs> and uh, of course a horse isn't rational. So, he, you know, he can pretend he has the authority uh, to name his horse a senator if he wants, but in fact he has, doesn't have authority over the order of nature itself, and the horse, in fact, is not rational, which is necessary to be a senator. So, too, our culture is pretending, it's buying into a forest. it's pretending that, that marriage can be something that, in fact, of its very meaning and inherent nature, it cannot. All right? So it's, so. Th- this is why Humanae Vitae is a document which it might set out to address specifically the issue of artificial contraception, wherein we separate the procreative ordering, suppress it, and, and uh, remove it from the unitive ordering. But the principles in Humana Vita are equally and just as applicable to all the issues that we see that we're facing today, whether it's the meaning of marriage, the definition of marriage, whether it's artificial methods of reproduction, whether it's premarital sex and cohabitation, and you name it, and you can just go right down the line. Rather, what the Church proclaims is that the human being is ordered to happiness and fulfillment. And we find genuine happiness and fulfillment in the sexual arena of human life only when we engage in sexual intimacy within, within the context of a marital union of a marriage, uh, where the where the husband and wife love each other and their sex is always ordered to procreation.
1: Listening to you, one of the things that came to mind is that there seems to be a tension in our culture between immediate gratification and the expectation of long-term joy. And we as human beings are geared towards fulfillment, towards gaining that joy in our lives, which is in being what God created us to be. But this is in direct conflict with the culture's insistence that it's the immediate pleasure that takes precedence. And I think this uh, is the issue with marriage. Marriage is not intended for a primary immediate gratification. It is geared towards (laughs) a lifetime commitment.
2: Yeah, once again, Deacon Mike, you really put your finger on the heart of the issue here. Uh, and this this marriage course that I teach with my undergraduates. Uh, this is kind of a, a recurring theme in the course, and that is, if you want uh, a happy marriage, if you want a marriage that has any chance of, of lasting, then you need to be a person of a kind of character that is able uh, and has demonstrated the ability to uh, to uh, sacrifice your immediate needs in view of a long-term, larger good, and you need to marry another person who has that kind of character, and you need to be reasonably sure that the person you marry has that character, because everybody who's married knows that uh, that you're, you are tempted every single day with putting your own needs first, right? And so where does in a marriage, you put your own needs first it, that is necessarily doomed to failure. Uh, a marriage that is successful and happy only follows when both husband and wife are willing to put their own needs secondary to the good of the family, and which is what the very nature of love is. Love is not to love the good for your own self first. It is to love the other for the other's own sake, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your children, the family. It's the common good of the family, and all other goods are subordinate to that. So in a culture which Uh, which touts the importance of immediate gratification when it comes to sex. And not kind of the schizophrenia, Deacon Mike, of the culture, because at the same time, it understands that sacrifice in other areas of human life is necessary to obtain a higher good. Think of just, for instance, you know, I, I have these undergraduates, these young people, and some of whom, many of whom are athletes, and they experience a great deal of self-denial, of sacrifice, of hard work, and of, of, uh, of uh, you know, strict uh, diet. They avoid uh, smoking. And yet, somehow, when, we, when it comes to sexuality, that's supposed to be—we're supposed to put that in a whole other category, so that the—, the, the that what is otherwise the, regularly the case for human life, which is the importance of self-sacrifice, of self-denial, somehow doesn't work for our sexuality. No, you know. In fact, Deacon Mike, I would say, you know, do you need any more evidence uh, by looking at the world today to realize that that the sexual revolution has sold us a false bill of goods? Do we need any more evidence that this is not working? Maybe the Church's vision of the meaning and purpose of human sexuality, maybe we should give it another look. Maybe we should give it another consideration.
1: How would you explain, based on the almost prescient uh, writing of Humana Vitae, and we see this lived out in our culture today, everything that uh, Pope Paul VI said would happen if we went down this road? We can see it in black and white, and yet, humana vitae, even by many Catholics, is still looked at as ignorable, as something that, you know, really has no meaning in their life. How would you
2: explain that? Isn't that ironic? <laughs> Isn't that ironic? You know, that, that, uh, uh, again i just I uh, point to the fact that do we need any more evidence that this is a this is a failed recipe is this is a failed project the divorce rate is what nearly fifty percent uh if you're just looking at at the the, the population as a whole that um and, and people have never been more unhappy more miserable in their sexual behaviors and lifestyles Hook up sex i mean the the, the the, the research is undeniable that this is, this is not making people happy. This is making people miserable, cohabitation, uh, you know, to do whatever you want with your sexual organs is not the path to happiness. You know, so it, it really is, um, it, it's quite ironic, but this is why, I, you know, the, I think the, the way I approach the matter is I'm just constantly holding up what, what I hold I, you know, I put up the church's vision. It's a vision uh, of of happiness first. It's not first a vision of do's and don'ts. Okay, it's a vision first and foremost of genuine human happiness and flourishing, and that uh, what we do with our with our bodies is 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 integral to that. It plays a key role in that. Okay, then you have this other vision. Uh, call it the, you know, the, the Vision of the secular culture, uh, the vision of uh, the sexual revolution, and um, you know, it's 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 your choice. Uh, I will, um, you know, be happy to make the case to explain clearly why uh, one is is uh, is a path to genuine human happiness and and not the other. But I think the uh, I think the existential evidence is pretty pretty clear. It speaks for itself anyway. But I just kind of you know. Um, throw it out there and say, this is, you know, you're entitled to choose what you please. But, but do you realize, though, no, that, you know, the Church's vision is a coherent one. It's one that appeals to human minds and to human hearts. The other vision doesn't do that. It appeals to emotion. It appeals to pleasure. It appeals to feelings. It appeals to statistics. And that I challenge my students. I say, you know, you're free to reject this if you, if you choose, but if you're going to reject it, then you at least need to do the Church a courtesy of responding in kind with a genuine, coherent vision. The Church offers you a coherent vision. If you're going to reject it, you need to have a coherent vision uh, to replace it with. Of course, there isn't one. Of course, the, the, the vision of the secular culture of the sexual revolution isn't a coherent one. It's utterly incoherent. And uh, because sex because the pleasure afforded by sex is so intense and because it is so immediate uh, that, you know, when it comes to this, unfortunately, um, people's, uh, you know, their, their, their rational abilities or their, their um, you know, their, their skill at, at approaching a matter logically, it so often goes, goes out the window. And when you find compromise on, on sexual matters, typically you find compromise in one's own personal life.
1: One of the reasons I really enjoyed your perspective in this book is because it does speak from a reasonable perspective, not strictly theological. But one of the things I also thought of when I was reading this is if you look at the medical evidence, especially psychology, psychiatry, the research proves out the failure of this mindset as far as human happiness. And yet we don't hear much about that.
2: No, we don't. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's so often the case, uh, that for instance, uh, the, 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 um, the documented evidence is clear. Let's just take an example. Let's, let's take the uh, example of, um, of, uh, of same sex activity, homosexual activity, um, you know, the evidence is clear that this leads to greater psychological imbalance, to, to greater psychological problems, and that these aren't explained by—a lot of people like to dismiss them by saying, well, it's because of the stigma that it, that it carries. Well, the, the research has clearly shown that it's not because of, of a so-called cultural stigma that comes with homosexual activity. It comes with what the Church has always said, its, its, uh, its inherent meaning. And in the case of, of same-sex activity, of homosexual activity, because it, it uh, runs counter to the inherent meaning and purpose of our sexuality, it's inherently disordered. It's inherently wrong. That's strong words. But w- what, it, what it means at bottom is that we can, it can never make us happy. It can never make us happy. And the research clearly plays that out. Now, that we never hear that research because, of course, the uh, the popular culture, the media, they don't want to say that. They want to say, they, they want to, um, you know, they want to give a different message. And unfortunately, we find we find people now in the church holding high office in the church, even trying to do the same thing, trying to advance a, a, a pro-homosexual agenda, whereby, you know, we don't need to speak of the uh, same-sex orientation as inherently disordered. It's just other-ordered. No, it's inherently disordered. And this is not to uh, denigrate a person who struggles with this. This is just to name the fact that there are lots of aspects of disorder in our life. It comes with our fallen condition and that it expresses itself in this area for certain individuals. Well, you know, the, 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 the way to help a person like that is not to say, you know, do what you feel like doing. It will make you happy, but rather no. That you know that this is not going to make you happy, and that you know there is there is another way. There is another way, and and certainly the the perspective of the faith here helps. You know the the uh, pope, uh, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith issued a letter in 1987 to the bishops of the church on the pastoral care of homosexual persons, and it just stressed the fact that 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 uh, stressed that the particular cross that a person who struggles with uh, safe-sex desires has to carry. But the, the letter makes clear that this is not unrelated to the cross that everybody has to bear. Everybody bears a cross, but it's in view of our redemption. It's in view of eternal life. What cross that we bear doesn't, isn't worth it in view of that, of that unheard of, unimagined good that awaits us?
1: We're nearing the end of the interview. We've got about a minute left. Um, In short, what would you like people to go away with from this book when they read it?
2: Uh, What I would like them to go away with is don't listen to all the bad press that Humani Vitae has gotten. Don't listen to the popular impression that we get of the church as a teaching that is just a bunch of do's and don'ts of you know, these celibate old men shaking their finger at the world, rather the, that what you find in human Vitae, what you find in Catholic moral teaching, is a, uh, is a proclamation of love, of genuine human love and genuine human happiness, and how our sexuality relates to that.
1: Thank you very much. Uh, if you're, our listeners are interested in the book, it is called Inseparable, Five Perspectives on Sex, Life, Love, in Defense of Humana Vitae. Please pick it up. Thank you very much, Dr. Uh, Gondreau. I am grateful that you joined us today. And uh, I want to thank all our listeners for joining us also. Next week, Gene Wilhelm will be our host for the Red Sea Roundup. Remember to tune in for that. Until then, when calculating the many ways you might share your time, talents, and treasure with the people of God, always round up.
0: talking